Welcome to The Fadeaway with your hosts, Dion Thomas and Eric Schmidt. This is a new podcast that will focus on hoops, the Illini, and life. But today, we're going to get to know Dion a little bit better. Listeners probably know what you did in college. They should know about your work with the Big Ten Network and as the color analyst for Illini men's basketball. But that's a full schedule, not all you're doing. Tell us what else you've been up to. Definitely not all I'm doing. I mean, I, I, I like to stay busy. You know, it, it makes me think about that that old um, SNL skit with, with Eddie Murphy. You know, when he was dressed up like the Jamaican with all the, the dreads and you know, the kid came up and he says, well, yeah, how many jobs you have? And Eddie Murphy says, how many jobs you have? He says, well, I have two jobs. He's like, two jobs, you lazy lima bean. He's like, I got 15 jobs, you know. <laughs> Probably not a very good Eddie Murphy impersonation, but that's kind of how I am. Yeah, we're going to add the, uh, <laughs> I said we're going to add the pop culture to that list of things we're going to talk about. Clearly with the old SNL, I don't think uh, some of our listeners may not remember Eddie Murphy back on SNL. No, no, the millennials <laughs> for sure, who, listen, who, are, who are our favorite listeners on podcast. You heard that right now. <laughs> but, YouTube it. Uh, YouTube on it. YouTube, yes, all of the YouTubers. But, you know, of course, they don't, they remember Eddie Murphy from Dr. Doolittle. Maybe the clumps. <laughs> but no, we'll take them farther back than that, but. Eddie's, Eddie's listening, going, please don't remind everybody of those movies. Oh, uh, no. He, the clubs, oh, come on, those were great movies. I love them. I love them. But no, no, I'm, I'm staying really busy, man, and, and really excited, you know, especially once I, I stepped away from coaching, which we'll probably get into later. But I am currently the director of UIC Engage, which is a community outreach program where we get volunteers from the university, from the many of the different colleges of Coastal University to go out in the communities and tutor and mentor uh, these kids in the CPS schools, which, as you know, is a need because the CPS has, you know, funding seems like it's getting cut every week, so who ends up losing out of these kids? So it's great that UIC and, and U of I, of course, can go out and bridge that gap and really be able to give back to the kids in this community. And what we're hoping for is that this isn't just a UIC thing, that other universities pick up on this and be able to give back to those communities. But that's probably the the big thing for me right now. If I had to say my day job, that's my day job. <laughs> you know, but I love doing it and and they always say that if you enjoy what you're doing, then you never work a day in your life. And and that's what that feels like to me because I'm out in the community giving back to kids that were like me. You know, I was one of those kids back in the day. So to be able to go back and give to them is tremendous. But I'm also working on uh, some other avenues to what I believe to be able to do that same thing, to reach out and teach and help uh, kids, not just here in Chicago, but through social medias like YouTube and, and things like that to be able to reach everyone. So I'm starting a YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to call it that the fade away, of course, again, because I think what it, it, it signifies to me, you know, when I played, that was my favorite shot, you know, the fadeaway. And what it did is because I was only, you know, I, I can be honest here, 6'8", wasn't 6'9", <laughs> the way I was put in the books, but when you're playing against guys that are a lot bigger than you, 6'10", guys, 6'11", 7-footers, you have to create a shot to be able to make baskets. And I was fortunate enough to score a whole lot of those baskets. And a lot of them came through my fadeaway jump shot. 
you know, Faden and Wade gave me an opportunity to be able to see the basket over the obstacle uh, that was in front of me, which was the Defender. And I'm hoping that my YouTube channel, my soon-to-be-out book, this podcast, and, and all of this will help people to see beyond whatever obstacle is in front of them and give them a clear vision of where they want to go and then enjoy themselves when we're sitting here talking sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, and a lot of the things that you're talking about are giving back or doing things for kids and trying to help them get on a better path. How did you decide that this is the kind of your calling at this point? Well, you know, I've always been one to help people. I mean, even, even as a small kid, that was always what I tried to do. I mean, ask my older brother. I've been helping him, and he's older than me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's always been a calling to me. But, you know, life takes you in, in different ways. You know, and because of basketball, it took me all around the world. I was able to see things that people have not seen, which helped change my perspective on things. But what really made it time for me to make this change, I guess, was I had to sit back and look because I was spending so much time away from my own fi- my own family, you know, while I was playing. Then as when I retired, I went right into coaching. I was an athletic director as well for five years. So that really took up a lot of time from my family. So I felt it was a it was time to make a decision, something to, you know, to do something different where I could spend that time with them. And then with all of the things that are going on in the city, and, and I would wake up in the morning before I would go to the office at UIC where I was uh, assistant coach at the time, and I'd watch the news. I'd have my coffee and watch the news from the day before, and it was tragic just watching all of the, the kids and the people that are getting shot and murdered and listening to all those negative things. So that's another thing that made me uh, think that it was time to make a career change, you know, change paths. And once I came back from the Final Four a couple of years ago, you know, I got really sick, and it was a surprise because, you know, like I tell people I never get sick, and, and I don't. So I thought I had a little bit of a flu bug. I end up going to see my doctor. They, they give me some medicine to take, and I started to feel better. Mm-hmm. But my doctor called me with my test results from the blood and was like, hey, you need to go to the emergency room. I just want to perform, have them perform these tests over again to make sure that, you know, everything is okay. Then a call you want to hear the first thing in the morning, of course. Uh (laughs) Oh yeah. Everyone wants that Mm. call in the morning. I mean, that's better than coffee, man. (laughs) Or watching the news. It will will wake you up. Mm. (laughs) And so while I'm at the emergency room, they, they put me back in a little room and I'm wondering what's taking them so long to come and at least give my wife and I the results or let us know what's going on. And so I stopped one of the nurses in the hallway and she basically told me, well, we're keeping you overnight and that the specialist would be in to speak with me later. Now, the specialist, she didn't define or say what type of specialist. So now I'm getting even more nervous. And he came in about half an hour later. And I was asking him, okay, well, when can I go home? And he said, well, you're not going home. You're staying here. Now, the problem was, and and I can't remember which exact um, uh, blood count it was that they were testing, but the normal range is between 50 and 100, and mine was over 25,000. So he... he (laughs) So so that brought the physician's attention to you a little more, uh. Clearly. Big time. Yeah, yeah, just, just a little bit, <laughs> That's right? why you get the call first thing the next morning. <laughs> and he told me, he was like, Dion, he was like, you're actually one to two days away from complete kidney and liver failure. And so we have to keep you overnight. And 
when they did that. I mean, I asked them, okay, well, what is the treatment? What can we do? Is this something, you know, where I would have to have a transplant or something like this? Because now I'm getting really nervous. Sure. While trying to keep the strong face because I'm sitting, you know, my wife is sitting there. And he told me it was definitely treatable. So they kept me in the hospital, pumping me with fluids. When I say 24 hours a day, I mean literally 24 hours a day. As soon as the little buzzer went off on my IV machine, the nurses were coming in there, changing it, putting in more fluids. And that's on top of the water that I had to drink. Mm -hmm. So this was, you know, constant for about four days. And while I was sitting in there and, and I'm watching the, the food net, the food channel where the guy goes around and he eats all these crazy and strange <laughs> exotic foods. Man versus food? Man, no, no, no. It wasn't man versus Di- food. Divers, it, it's, it's, diners, drive-ins, and dive. No, see, I like that oh, one. Okay. I'm a Guy Fieri fan. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the, it's the little bald head guy. He has the round rim glasses, but he goes around the world eating all these just Things that I would, and I'm a foodie. Yeah, yeah. But those things, there ain't no way in the world I would eat. But, <laughs> you know, I came to the decision. I'm like, okay, you know what? This, this is it. My health is more important. My family is more important than any of the things that I'm doing. So that's when I decided to walk away. Uh, my, and when I was discharged, my wife came to pick me up, and, and I told her, well, you know, babe, this is, um, this is the decision I've come to, and, and I'm moving on. The great thing about my wife is she supported me for the whole almost 19 years that we've been married. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've drugged this woman all around the world from Miami, Florida to Edwardsville, Illinois. Now, that might have been the hardest one, (laughs) but she was right there with me. And when I told her this, the first thing she said was, well, this has always been your dream and, and you've did this and you got into this in order to help kids. Bam, the light comes on again. And I told her, I said, well, babe, you know, I'm helping 12 kids now and 12 kids that are already in college. There's something bigger out there for me to do where I can help 1,200, maybe even 12,000 kids get to college. Now you're really making a difference. And, And that was one of the things that prompted me to really walk away from basketball, well, coaching because mm-hmm. I'll never walk oh, away yeah. from basketball. It's in my DNA. It's in my blood. And that, I shouldn't say walk away from coaching either because I'll always be coaching. I mean, shoot, I had, to, I had this summer off because I was away to coach my daughter's team, uh-huh. you know, the IBA stars. And that's a, that, you know, that was a story within itself, my first time coaching girls. <laughs> <laughs> but they listen. You know, That's what I always hear is doing sideline for Comcast and the, a coach that goes man. from a boys program to a girls program says they love it because the girls actually listen. And they are all 100% spot on. The girls listen so well that it becomes frustrating. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because they do. And, and they're exactly right. They listen. I mean, but their girls are so literal. You know, you say, hey, come off this screen and go left. Regardless if there's a defender there, they're going to come off that screen and try to go left, Whereas, which is the opposite of boys. You know, you beat them over the head with a bat, and they still don't want to listen. You say, come off and go left. Now, left is open, but they want to go right. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, because the shot's on the right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, at least that's, that's what they think. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they know more than you. That, yes, they do. Yes, yes they do. Which it's isn't, my... uh, it's not just basketball. It's like our own kids, right? Don't they know? Anyway, 
Of course. No, no, no. <laughs> that works because you're 100% right. <laughs> and I've had that conversation a few times, like, you know, with my 17 and my 13-year-old. I say, oh, yeah, you know, I was living before you were even thought of. <laughs> but, you know, they think they it know more than matter. we do. Well, what was that like to, 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 to coach your daughter and her team? I mean, did you ever picture yourself doing that back when you were playing overseas or when you started coaching at UIC, doing these <laughs> other things? It, it's so funny when... If I ever picture myself doing this, to answer that question first and foremost, no. Never, ever once thought of myself doing that. But when I was actually playing basketball, I never thought of coaching basketball. And, you know, contrary to what a lot of people may believe, and you've been around a lot of athletes yourself, and I've played against and people that have so many great athletes and, and people that have achieved what I have in my career and have achieved more. The one thing that they've always had was this love for basketball. I didn't have that love for basketball. I was mm-hmm. a baseball player. Yeah, and okay, so <laughs> play, there are people listening to this that just slammed on their brakes, okay? Uh, yeah, so you know you that. Have to tell the story. Please, no car accidents. Yeah, tell the story. <laughs> no, but I, I was a baseball player. I loved baseball from, I remember growing up in the village, we had the Little League baseball teams out of the YMCA, and that's where my first passion and, and love came from sports, was playing baseball. So when we did move south, and, and well, I played the Little League, the Pony League, and, and when well, I wasn't even Pony League, it was the, the itty-bitty league. Yeah, I think yeah. I was like seven or eight years old when I started swinging a bat. And then when we moved out south to Inglewood, they had, of course, the Park District baseball team. So that's why I continued playing. And one day, I think I was going to eighth grade. No, I was in eighth grade. We were in between going from eighth grade to my freshman year in high school. I'm walking home after a baseball game, which we won, by the way. <laughs> you still remember this. I still remember that. <laughs> no, you know, you know, you go through life and you remember significant moments in your life. So we win, and, and my buddy, my buddy Robert and I were walking home, and my brother's out on the basketball court. So he calls me over. He says, Dion, you know, we need another player to play. So, you know, will you come out and you play with us? So I was about 6'3 at this time, 6'2, 6'3. So I was pretty tall for my age. And so I go out and we play. We play well. I, I thought I didn't know I was playing well. Let me first of all say that because I didn't know crap about basketball at the time. So on our way home, my older brother looks at me. He says, uh, "You're not playing basketball anymore. I mean baseball. baseball. You're not playing baseball anymore." I'm like, "Dude, what are you talking about?" He was like, "You don't realize how good you are at basketball." He was like, "You're in eighth grade." He was like, "You know who you were playing against out there on the basketball court?" And you were handling your own. I'm like, again, I don't know who these people are. Yeah. Al Frederick Hughes. We all know. We all know well, uh, maybe these not younger everybody people does it, but yeah. Al Frederick Hughes was one of the greatest scorers ever, mm-hmm. not just from the city of Chicago, but at Loyola uh, University, then on to the NBA. His brother, Chris Hughes, was out there who was playing at the time in Europe. Uh, Marcus Liberty's brother, Stretch, was out there who was an amazing player, and some would say he was better than Marcus, which might be hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But they were, they were, those, those were the caliber of guys that were out on the court at Hamilton Park. And you had played basketball before then. I mean, this wasn't the first time you shot a ball. You didn't literally walk out there in eighth grade, and <laughs> you're looking at me like, yeah, it was. First time I had ever oh played basketball. Gosh. That's crazy. The first. That's and, amazing. You know, so this is why, you know, I didn't really have that, Love, but you know that also followed me throughout the rest. So you asked me if I ever thought that I would be coaching a 17U girls team after coaching at the University of Illinois. 
I mean, University of Illinois, Chicago, no. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought it. Didn't, wasn't in the cards. Wasn't all, even on my radar. But God puts you in places where he wants you, not where you think you want to be, but where he wants you to be. So this was a great experience. It's a great experience. You know, you hear some parents say, you know, when I coach my kids' team, we got closer together, which is true. But boy, did my daughter make me want to choke her a few times. <laughs> of course. You know, we be in practice. We're in games. I say something. All of the other kids said, okay, coach, and this my daughter. But why? Why you got to do this? Why you got to do that? I don't think that's the right thing to do. But that's one of the things I love about that kid is she has a strong will. She likes what she likes. Kind of reminds me of her mom. Funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. But you know you can't tell your kid in the sport what to do. I mean, I, I have this joke with uh, the, the coach of my son's baseball team I helped out this year, and uh, he'll always tell me, hey, uh, Eric, can you tell my son to go do something? <laughs> like, it's just like we had to have each other tell our own kids what to do because my son wouldn't listen to me and his wouldn't listen to him. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's human nature. It's human because nature. you're dad, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happens in – as a matter of fact, in the last couple of tournaments, she's a senior this year, so this is her last AAU run. So in the last couple of tournaments, she was, and she's good, she was player of the game, chosen by the other coaches, um, seven out of the eight games that we played. But, of course, there was a point during the game where I had to turn to my assistant coach, Dave Groherring, and say, Dave, you talk to her because I'm not talking to her (laughs) anymore. And it was because we had a spat on the bench because I'm trying to explain something to her. And she gives me this look like, will you please shut the F up? (laughs) You know, and and so, of course, I immediately, I'm like, hey, I'm trying to help you. This is for you. This isn't for me. You know, I didn't go through the whole parent speech. And then I turn and I I walk away. But then I hear Dave talking to her in, in her ear and, she goes back out on the court, and I literally mean this. In, in the next 30, sec, 30 seconds to 40 seconds, the girl put up nine points in a row. And so I turn and I look at Dave, and I say, well, Dave, okay, every time she comes over here to the bench, you talk to her, because yeah. I'm not saying nothing go. more to her for go. the rest of the time that she's here. And, you know, but that's, it, it was a lot important of fun. lesson you learned as a coach this year. Man, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. Because that's one of the things I told the, the girls on the team. I was like, you know what? I may have taught you guys a lot this year. I was like, but I've learned just as much from you all than, than you've learned from me. And with them, I try to give, you know, still, you know, part of, of our podcast is going to be talking about life. And that's a lot of what I try to instill with them through basketball, of course, was a lot of life skills. So it, it was a great summer, man. I had a great time. Loved it. Deanne, who were the influences that you took? Because, I mean, you were coaching college. You, mm-hmm. you were the AD down uh, in Edwardsville? At, no, actually I mean, in Alton. Alton, that's right. Mm-hmm. You were AD there. Yeah. Um, but you, again, back to the original question, I mean, who were your influences to get onto the side of the court and work with these kids? Wow. Well, you know, when you ask the influences, they really get on the court. My influence, my, the people that influenced me were really people that influenced my life. And my life is what pushed me and carried me into the basketball realm. But, you know, I have to start off with my grandmother, Bernice McGarry. My grandmother was the biggest influence on my life. And, you know, she's actually going to be the topic of 
my second book once I finish with the first one. <laughs> and, and I actually have the title already uh, made up. It's from my grandmother's lips. And, and that's not trademarked, so please do not steal it. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. No, but she was my biggest influence, and, and, and my mother was tremendous. And they actually kind of gave me a, a yin and yang lesson in life. You know, my mother, my mother knew the street. And so this was one of the things that she really taught us. She grew up hard. I mean, my mother had two kids by the time she was 19 years old. You know, and where we grew up, if you didn't learn these lessons, then you would eventually struggle. And my grandmother, who was this little five-foot-one, sweet, sweet, but strong woman, taught me the other side. And, and, you know, putting those two things together is what made me who I am. So those are two huge influences for me. My high school coach, Bob Hambrick. I mean, Coach Hambrick came into my life at a time when my father was never really there. And so he came into my life when I reached maybe my freshman year, 14, 15 years old. And he was really able to get me out of the life where I was starting to get into and show me that there was more. I mean, even with the, the, the lessons from my mother and my grandmother, you still start to creep a little bit to what's going on in your neighborhood and in your area. And coach pulled me over and said, hey, there's better things than this crap that's going on over here. So he was a huge influence on me. Jimmy. It, well, as you say, and, and, well, it takes a village. I mean, yes. there's nothing wrong. And that's Coach Hamrick was, he's one of the best on the court and off at Simeon, mm-hmm. for those who don't know. So an amazing uh, Hall of Famer. Great, yes. great coach. Yes, he was. And, and a great mentor. And I just want, you know, I remember going to his funeral because God forbid he passed, you know, he passed away, you know, had a, a bout with brain cancer, ended up passing away. But we could not get all of the people in the funeral home. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the amazing person that he is. He had a kid that was one of the speakers, and I shouldn't call him a kid because he was a man now, that Coach Hamburg had met when he was in seventh grade. And this man was coming back giving a eulogy that, that many years later, and he's saying exactly, at that point, he's saying what I'm saying now is about how he took him and taught him how to be a man. And this is what the effect that he had on all of my teammates, both, I'm sure, after me, but definitely the ones before me and the ones that I was playing with. You know, another big influence was Jimmy Collins. Um, Coach Collins is, you know, with some of the sayings and the little nuggets that he gives you and, and teaches you was a huge influence. Um, Coach Henson, you know, and if I had to go into Europe, you know, David Blatt, who was a former coach at the Cleveland Cavaliers, was my coach when I was in Maccabi Tel Aviv assistant coach Mm -hmm. but that's who we spent most of the time with so those all of these people and I call them coaches because my grandparents and my mom those are even coaches were the influence that pushed me over to being who I am my wife will tell you if one day we'll we'll bring her on here she'll have a whole (laughs) lot those stories may not be as good as mine we'll have heavy (laughs) editing on that one I think oh yeah (laughs) But like she said, you know, I was always coaching. Even before I hit the sideline, I was always bringing the young guys home, whether it was uh, Americans or if we were in Spain, it was the young Spanish guys that were on the team. I was always staying afterwards with them, helping them with this or that because it really didn't matter what it was. So when I retired, which sounds funny, when (laughs) when I stepped away from actually playing, I bumped into a guy and I met him in Starbucks in Florida. Now, at this time, I never went to Starbucks. Never. Just wasn't on my radar. This day, I'm in Starbucks. 
And he's standing behind me, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, um, you play basketball? I was like, no, not anymore. I just retired. And his name is Andre. He says, well, my name is Andre. I'm the new head coach at the university school, which is a private school in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He says, I'm the new head coach from there. I recently graduated from a Division II Nova University where I played basketball. He's like, but I have no experience in coaching. Will you come out and help me? I said, okay. I was, you know. Job interview in line at Starbucks. Exactly. You know, so I'm like, well, you know, I am doing some things, but I do have some time. I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll come out and help you. So I, I went out. I helped them throughout that year, that season. Came home at the end of the season. I told my wife, baby, this is what I want to do. I want to go into coaching. And it seemed like a few months later, I was head, we were moving up to Edwardsville, and I was the head coach and the athletic director at Lewis and Clark Community mm-hmm. College. And I said Alton. It's actually in Godfrey. Godfrey, yes. But, but if you cross the street, you're in Alton. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's where it, it really started. And being there... Um, working with those kids and at the junior college level, which is a lot harder than at the NCAA Division One, Division Two, or Division Three level, because you're, you're getting in kids that are missing something, whether it's academically, whether it's socially, whatever it is, they're missing something. So now you really have to grab them and, and curtail that and fix it and mold it to help them move on, you know, because that's the, the whole point. In, in right? a short amount of time. In a very short amount of time. I mean, because it's not like a four-year school where you have four years to mold a kid. I mean, you have, if you're lucky, a year, mm-hmm. you know, because kids move on, kids drop out, kids flunk out, you know, so then they start to move on. So that was kind of the, those were my influencers being... <laughs> Tapped on the shoulder and Starbucks was what got me into coaching and, and really taking that love for what I have from helping people and putting it into a sport that I knew. And, and I say knew because at the time I didn't love it. You know, I played a long time because mm-hmm. I was good at it, but I didn't really fall in love with it until I started coaching. You know, and I think it was the being able to pass on all of the things that I'd learned from basketball and from life to those kids that I was working with that really gave me that love. Any of them that you still keep in touch with that kind of recognize those lessons? And they're still young. I mean, you, you haven't been doing it all that long. No. I actually, I keep, a, I keep in contact with a lot of them, mm-hmm. uh, most of them. And one of my biggest things I would always tell them, you know, even at the junior college level and while I was at UIC is, I don't really care if you bounce another basketball a day in your life. The most important thing for me is that you get your degree, and that you are a productive person in this country or whatever country you were from. Because I had several kids from Croatia, I had kids from Lithuania, you know, <clears throat> from all of my contacts in Europe. But whatever country you're, that you're productive and that you're not some kind of drag on society. So your question was if I keep in contact with them. Yes, I just had one of my kids uh, that I coached. He was my starting point guard for our team when we went to the national championship. The, well, not the national championship, the final four, where we ended up finishing fourth, finishing fourth with two double overtime losses. Yeah, heartbreaking. Mm, you're lucky you didn't have heart issues before the other oh, issues. No, I, I had hair before <laughs> that, though. <laughs> and now I have none. <laughs> two double overtime. Yes. Oh, but my goodness. Bryson Smith is his name. And 
Bryson called me just yesterday. Coach, I wanted to call and let you know that I'm marching on Tuesday. I got my college degree. That was always my biggest thing for them, um, is to make sure whether they did it there or whether it took them two years, three years, five years, you get your degree. And every time I talk to them, that's the very first thing I ask them. Are you still in school? Did you get your degree? So he called me and was like, yeah, coach, walking on Tuesday, finally got it done. And he's down in Florida coaching. So like I tell him, now you can start to pursue what you want to do. But, I mean, there's, a, there's many of them. Marlon Sykes, uh, and you know, you and I are Facebook friends. Marlon is one of the kids from the west side of Chicago. He went to Marshall High School. And actually, his dad is, in a, is a referee. We, we don't need to throw no names out there, but his dad's a referee. But when I first met Marlon, and I have to say, his mom and dad did a good job. He wasn't as off the rails as some of the kids, um, and he always came in with an open mind to listen. So Marlon got his associates from, um, from Lewis and Clark, went on to come back home and play up here at um, Robert Morris, did a year at Robert Morris, left Robert Morris, went to the military, after the military, because the military would pay for school for him, which was a great, smart idea. Left the military, went back to Robert Morris, played his last year, finished at the top of his class at Robert Morris. He was valedictorian. He is now an accountant. He just got hired as an accountant. So he is probably, he's one of those kids that is my one of my proudest uh, moments. And the reason why is because when a lot of those kids came into Lewis and Clark, I mean, I had, to, I had to literally take these kids' Pell Grants because their Pell Grants would come in and then two weeks later they'd be broke. And this is because, you know, this is a cycle, and we'll talk about this especially in the life part of, our, mm-hmm. <laughs> of the podcast once we move on because they didn't, they didn't have anything. So if you don't have anything and all of a sudden you're given a lot of it, the first thing you want to do is go out and get all of that stuff that you couldn't have before. So they would have nice gym shoes. They would have more clothes. If they didn't have tattoos, they ended up having a bunch more tattoos. So I was like, okay, you know what? We're not going to do this because first semester, now these kids don't have any money and I have to figure out a way to feed them. Mm-hmm. No more money the second semester. It comes to me. And when you guys come in here, we'll go to the bank. I'm going to show you how to open an account, show you how to you know, keep count of your check, you know, a checking account and how much money you have in it. What you, so now they would know. So this was one of those things that I really started to uh, hone in on and really get them to focus on. Marlon was the first one to walk out of Lewis and Clark with money, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which was great. And all the things that are right in, you know, coaching 101, dealing with, you know, on, on, off the court things that you have to do like that just to keep the kids eligible and keep them there and, and make sure that they're successful. I mean, you're teaching, again, life skills. It's yes. not basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teaching basketball is the easy part. Yeah. I mean, but getting these kids, like you said, the life skills and to really understand what it takes because not everybody goes to Division One schools. Not everyone goes and makes money playing professionally. So if you don't understand how to cope and how to deal with life as a whole, then you really got a problem. Mm-hmm. And he has, he, amongst others, I mean, especially a bunch of, several of my kids from Chicago, they all went on to graduate. They all called me. Unfortunately, at the time I was coaching, coach, can you make it to graduation? 
and, and I couldn't make it to graduation. But I am so proud of uh, many, many of those guys. And then I was fortunate enough, got four guys that are playing basketball in Europe as well, and one in the ABA, which at least he's living out That's his great. dream. That's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's doing exactly what he wants, I'm yes, sure. Yes, he is. He's happy. Well, and, and so you were fortunate to be in a position to be able to help these kids. Uh, you mentioned your mom and your grandmother, but then you went to Illinois. You mentioned Coach Hamrick again in high school. Mm-hmm. And then you had Coach Collins. I bet if we were to sit down and talk to Coach Collins, he would be saying some of the exact same things you are. Coach Henson's the same way. I mean, what kind of role did they play in your development, not just on the court, but off the court too? Well, on the court, of course, you know, anytime you're on the court, you're on the court all the time with your coaches. And, and they're, they're passing on the lessons that they've learned and things. But off the court is where I believe Coach Collins excelled in, in connecting, especially with kids from the inner city. I mean, he worked here in Chicago as a parole officer for many years. Of course, having grown up in a not-so-great uh, uh, living arrangement in Syracuse, New York, as he was coming up. So he had an idea of what a lot of us was going through. So he really was teaching us how to deal with the difficulties of life and how to orchestrate your way through them when they happen, because they do happen. And Coach Henson, you know, people all ask me often, well, how'd you like playing for Lou? You know, I loved playing for Lou. Now, I'm not going to tell you we got along well all the time because coach wasn't really the hands-on. At that time, none of the coaches were really hands-on at that time. It was assistant coaches, head coaches. You know, when you were having a, a, a conversation with your coach, it was for one or two reasons. Either you did something really good or you did something really bad. Thank God I never had the really bad conversations. <laughs> no, I don't remember too many of those games, no. So, so thank God I never really had those, but... Coach Henson today, I could tell you I love him. And, and, and I know other players would say that exact same thing because Coach would give you lessons and give you little tidbits in practice. And, and, and after practice, you didn't really understand at that time, but later on you did. And one of my favorites was Coach would come and he would say, hey, Dion, you make sure you do something you don't like every day. He's like, because it builds intestinal fortitude which I think was one of Coach's favorite lines, but he was right. Because now as I've gotten older and, and I've started mentoring and, and talking to kids, one of the lines I always tell them is, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. You make uncomfortability your friend because you don't get great. Greatness doesn't come to you if you're comfortable. It only comes when you have to go through struggle or when things are difficult. Now, once you surpass that, you've already beaten where you at. You know, and I told you earlier about the girls team. One of the young ladies on the, on the team gave me a letter afterwards. And she expressed in that letter her change from the beginning to the end. And those things that were going on in her life were uncomfortable. You know, she was being bullied. You know, she plays on the high school team, but she was being bullied by some of the other girls on the high school team. So she kind of went into a shell. And when she first came out, which I was surprised she came out for the team, but I'm glad she did. But when she came out for the team this summer, she started off, she wouldn't talk. She'd peel off to her side, you know, by herself on the side while the other girls were here. But it Little by little, I almost said poco poco, but <laughs> almost speaking <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> little by little, you could see her inching closer and closer 
into the team. And when this happens, you can see her game elevate from not wanting to get the ball to catching the ball on the wing, ripping past a girl, one dribble, pull-up jump shots with it going in. The girl would never shoot a three-point shot. Our last tournament, she sank four of them. So you saw this personal growth from this young lady and that's why you do these things. This is why coaches do what they do. This is why Coach, Han- Coach Henson did what he did for me. You know, this is why Coach Hambrick and Coach Collins and, and my grandmother and my mom all do these things and pass you on these lessons. So when you come out at the end, you're a heck of a lot better than when you went in. Hopefully. It, it's worked pretty good. No, it's worked. <laughs> well, and I love your, your, your comment about doing something that makes you uncomfortable every day. I know what that is today. Oh, <laughs> doing yeah. a podcast. <laughs> oh, but yeah. speaking of that, so you were drafted yes. uh, after Illinois by the Mavericks, and you chose to not pursue the NBA, and you chose to go, and speaking of making yourself incredibly uncomfortable, go to an entirely different country. Why did you make that decision, you know, and, and, and what was that like to, to make that leap? Oh, God. Let me, first, <laughs> to, to, to answer that, I kind of have to go backwards. I have to go backwards to high school. My senior year in high school, Simeon High School and Marshall Girls team, we were fortunate enough to go and play in Amsterdam. And, you know, our high school coaches were there. Um, so... Having they being there and, and experiencing what it's like for a kid from the west side of Chicago to see Amsterdam and what it's like, it opens your eyes to a whole possibility and a whole different world of things. So when I got drafted by the Mavericks, of course I was ecstatic, you know, extremely happy. Went to training camp, went to rookie camp, played extremely well. While my agent was in negotiations uh, with the Mavericks, he came to me and said, hey, Dion, you know, I have to tell you that these deals came up. You know, these offers came over from Spain and from Italy and, you know, just to put them out there for you. So I always wanted to go back and see Europe. But, you know, I'm thinking, okay, NBA or Europe. So I talked to Coach Collins, as a matter of fact. And Coach Collins says, well, Dion, you know, the bottom line is at the end of the day, you can take care of your family, and you can travel and go and do whatever it is that you want to do and not what you have to do. So it doesn't matter where you go. It's what you do. So me, not being not like you know most of the other kids that are coming up, it wasn't NBA or bust for me. I'm like, you know what? This gives me an opportunity to travel, to see something different, to learn something different, to try different food, to see you know a totally different culture, to experience for a longer time, what I experienced in Amsterdam, I get to experience it here. And plus, it didn't help. Uh, it didn't hurt that, you know, Coach Mata, Dick Mata was the head coach at the time, says, well, Dion, we want to change your position from the power forward to the small forward, so you're not going to play a whole lot this year. You're going to do more practicing than playing. <laughs> so that didn't, that didn't, you know, didn't hurt too much. But I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I can go here, I can play – 35, 40 minutes a game, work on what Coach Mata wanted me to work on while being in, seeing, and enjoying a different culture. It's kind of a no-brainer for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I made the transition, and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm out. wasn't easy. No, I'm sure. It but wasn't you, easy. Because I think you made the, the harder decision to do that. And, again, yeah, you, you can go there, have a great career, do all the things that you talked about. 
Um, but that, I, again, I think the proximity, the fact that you had to go and jump out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. probably makes that hard. But you know, And you're right, because there's a lot of people now that go over that, that I'm talking about NBA players, and, and just they go and they can't uh, make that shift. And I was almost one of them. I mean, I was there when I first got to Spain back in 1994. It's not like it is today. Very few people spoke English. And when I say very few, I mean very few. On television, you had two channels in English. It was CNN and Eurosport. (laughs) Eurosport is kind of like the equivalent of an ESPN, but they cover European sports. So, I mean, they're covering handball. And at this time, I wasn't a big soccer fan. They covered soccer, football, football, exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. And I mean, and I was there about two weeks. And I called my agent, Mark Bartlestein, here at Priority Sports. I'm like, Mark. You got to make the deal, man. Make the deal with Dallas. I'm coming home. You know, he was like, Dion, he was like, you've been there a couple of weeks. He was like, you haven't really experienced anything. He was like, have you left your house? Have you done? And I was like, no and no and no to basically all the questions that he, he had asked me. And one of my really good friends, I call him my brother. Um, I called him. I'm like, what are you doing? Because he was actually at the time was modeling, you know, low budget modeling, but he did some stand-ins for Michael Jordan and things like that. He was like, nothing. He was like, modeling is kind of slow for me right now. You know, what, what's up? I said, like, well, can you come over here with me? I was like, I'll fly you over. And he flew over with me. And now it gives you something that you're a little bit more familiar with, someone that you're a little bit more familiar with. And then I discovered Barcelona. <laughs> Done deal. Mark, Mark, <laughs> Mark called me a couple weeks after that and said, well, you still ready to come home? I was like, nope. I am all good, buddy. <laughs> yeah, for, ignore, just forget about that other call. <laughs> hey, yeah, who, 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 you talk to me when? <laughs> I don't even remember this. But, but no, it, it really opened my eyes once. If you can get past that first uh, barrier, it really opens your, your mind because there was really no turning back for me after that. What was the biggest adjustment for you on the court? The fact that you can take the ball off the rim. I mean, that was, like, foreign to me. I mean, because the rules are the same. The game was a little bit slower, more so like college basketball than the NBA at that time. I mean, now they they have the the 24-second clock, so it's a lot faster. But at that time, it was more like college basketball. But the fact that if you shoot and the ball is bouncing around on the rim, you can jump up there and smack it off the rim. The first time it happened, I'm like, whoa, that's goaltending. He was like, the referee was like, no, you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and some of my teammates, I had a couple of older teammates. Um, One was American and the other one was from from Slovenia. They both were, Dion, no, you can do that. It's okay. Let's go. You know, so now I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> nice. You're just trying to stop the game. No, no. Check check ball. Yeah, right. like that. We got to take that out. That's goaltending. <laughs> I need those two, two points, points, man. That's two points. <laughs> I need those two points. Who uh, who took you under their wing out there? Who were some teammates that you really leaned on? Well, that was, uh, there was the two that I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, some we won't know. Well, sure. Linton Towns uh, played here. I mm-hmm. forgot where Linton went to college, but he played for the Detroit Pistons, and he was in the NBA for a few years. Uh, Slavko Kotnik is the one I told you was my friend from Slovenia, which we still talk now. He's an agent there. And Rafa Vega was one of my other teammates. He's a Spanish. And his father and grandfather were actually, and now, let me stop. Rafa is 6'11". Okay? Now, I don't know what. Legit? Yes, okay, legit. Okay. 
He's legit. Now my my six nine wasn't sure. legit. I'm just making sure which <laughs> math we're using. We're using we're using meters over there. He <laughs> was two true. he was two That's meters true. six. <laughs> <laughs> but no, his father and his grandfather were famous bullfighters. So of course you know they're not very tall. So I don't know what happened. The fact that Rafa was able to grow that tall. But those are the three guys that my first my freshman year, my rookie year, that really took me under their wing. Rafa's. Advice was Dion, don't be like the other Americans. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, most of the Americans come over here, they want to party. Oh, this is a podcast, so I can say it. They want to party, fuck, and just make money. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? He was like, and most of them don't even know where Spain was. He's, and then he stopped and he says, well, did you know where Spain was before you came here? And I say, of course I knew where Spain was before I come here. What did I look like to you, an idiot? He was like, no, I didn't mean to offend you, but most of the players here didn't know where Spain was before they came. They didn't care. They just mm-hmm. came over here for this reason, which was huge for me because it was what I wanted anyway, which was to get out and learn and see different cultures, different, you know, like I said, just to see the world. And he opened my eyes to that. And then, of course, with Linton Towns, who had been in Europe for years, was the same way. And then Slava Kodnik, who was from Slovenia, that's all he had ever done. So those were really three of the guys that that really took me under their wing and really pointed me in the right directions. And how many years there? 14, man. 14. And... Really never had a thought of coming back. Um, my second year, I met my wife. And my, by my third year, you know, and, and no, my first year I met my wife. We met, I was in a city playing that night. She was there on vacation with one of her girlfriends. And I can't give all this away because this is going to be in the book. <laughs> but <laughs> she was there with her girlfriend. We met and she went back to Israel. And then she eventually ended up going to school in Florida. So within that time, there was a two-year period where we didn't talk. We didn't talk. We didn't see each other. Nothing. So by my third year, I called her. I'm like, are you seeing anyone? She was like, nope, I was waiting for you. And here we are, September 4th. It'll be 19 years that my ace in the hole has been has been on my back. There you go. Oh, well, I shouldn't say on my back. Ah. Yeah, that makes it sound like she's riding me like a horse. Right next to you. Because <laughs> we've been working together. She's been on my side. Yeah. Exactly. That's my right team. by your side. There you go. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so I love, you know, a lot of hoops, you know, a lot of the influences on, on working with kids. I mean, these are the things we want to talk about on this podcast. I mean, what else are we going to get to? Well, and we're going to get to something about you too, man, because you're doing a lot. <laughs> I mean, you do a lot. I mean, you've been covering... The fact that you cover these kids the way you do, I mean, and I'm a fan, I have to say that. You cover these kids, and a lot of these kids need that coverage. They need it because, you know, if I didn't have, um, you know, guys back in the day talking about me, how would I have rose, you know, rose up the, the, the levels that I did, you know, here in the city? Not just my you know, talent, but, of course, even with talent, if people aren't talking about you, if they're not putting you out there, nobody else gets to know about you. So what you do covering these high school sports and covering these kids is huge, man. I mean, yeah, this is partly, you know, about me. I might be the more known person <laughs> on here, but uh, shoot. Obviously. Definitely not less important because what you do is, is tremendous. And I want to talk about that. I want to get to know how you cover these kids so now they'll listen to you and they'll understand what they have to do on top of just life itself. 
because there's so many things that go on and take place in our world that today is a little scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't talk politics, but it's a little scary. Well, I guess that's a part of life, but it's a little scary, a lot of the things that are going on both on TV, on the internet, and out, outside of our windows. Well, in Chica- yeah, in Chicago. I mean, that's what we touched upon. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the influences you had to you know, make a difference was what you watch on TV because exactly. all of the things that are going on, the violence in Chicago, it's, it's front page news every day. And every little bit helps to work with these kids and do those types of things. That's like you said, man, it takes a village. So it, does. so it takes every little piece that we can put out there to to help them move along and progress. We we have to do. So I'm looking forward to it, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. I know we got some great guests lined up too. So I, we won't spoil anything. It's like you know the book. Got to got to wait till it comes out. <laughs> but this is going to be a lot of fun. Like we said we're going to do some Illini. We don't want to alienate all of our other local schools, the Northwesterns and some of the other ones that have some great student athletes and mm-hmm. and programs and coaches that are doing amazing things for for kids too. So hey, yeah, we ain't kidding because we definitely got to talk about one, Chris Collins, man. I got, and I don't, I don't know if I if we got to go knock on Chris's office door, <laughs> boom, 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 open up. We got to get Chris on here. He's one of you know the Chicago area's own. I mean, and he's doing some tremendous things. So I'm looking forward to it, man. We just we gonna have everybody on here. Why not? You know who I do want to have on here? And we talked about uh, wish it list. We're gonna put it out there. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna put it out there. All we gonna all I'm gonna say is, and for most of our listeners, they may not know who this guy is. Mr. Jimmy in the gym. And the reason I say we have to get him on here, I remember, you know, you know when you reach a certain point, you know it. I knew it the first time with my junior year in high school. No, senior year in high school. And I walked into the gym at IIT for the uh, Summer League Pro-Am. And I walked in the gym, and Jimmy hit me with the... In the gym, the six nine star from Simeon. I was like, "Oh my God, he's talking about me!" <laughs> Gotta get Jimmy on. You here. made it. You made it. That's how you know. And all oh, the stories he's going to be able to tell. He's a colorful character. Oh my oh, God, we might. We, it's a good thing it's a podcast. It's not radio. You ain't kidding. <laughs> Well, good. We're going to get to a lot of this great stuff. We're thanking everybody for listening so far to our, our kind of our, our practice here and getting to know each other and getting to know Dion. And yes. for everybody that didn't know what you were doing after U of I and what you've been doing and the difference you've been making now. So it's going to be fun, Dion. Let's, hey, let's get it done, brother. Let's get it done. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The fade away. Thank you for listening, and big thanks to Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking for sharing the Painless Network podcast space with us. Chris hosts great sports guests each week on his Painless Network podcast. You can subscribe or download those episodes if you have not already. And if you like the music you heard on this episode, that was Coming Around from fellow Illini Marty Casey. It's on Marty's latest album, The Ground You Walk On, now available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Play. Until next time, thanks for checking out The Fadeaway.